the Bible and the Bishop. Hello, my name is Farron Glenfield. I'm the Church of Ireland Bishop of Kilmore, Elfin and Arda. And I've been reading the Bible since my teenage years, a half century ago. Since then, I've studied the Bible as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a student at the university and as a Christian pastor. I believe the Bible is God's word written. So in this series of the Bible and the Bishop, I would like us to consider the book of Psalms, which is found in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. Psalm 51. On Friday the 11th of September 1998, the world's most powerful man stood with tears welling in his eyes, his head bowed low, as he addressed America's religious leaders at the annual White House prayer breakfast. He uttered these words, I don't think there is a fancy way to say, I have sinned. He also said that with a broken spirit and a still strong heart, I can be used for greater good. In this, I ask for your prayers and for your help in healing our nation. For God can change us and make us strong at the broken places. 3,000 years before, President Bill Clinton publicly confessed his sin. One of the world's great leaders, King David of Israel, wrote the words of Psalm 51. These words are the fourth of seven so-called penitential psalms found in the Psalter. And Psalm 51 is probably the best known of these psalms. If you look at the heading above Psalm 51, you will see yet another reference to the choir master, that is someone in charge of the music in the sanctuary, followed by a very direct words. A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is probably the most graphic and revealing heading in all the Psalter. It refers to the events painfully described in the second book of Samuel, chapters 11 and 12. In summary, from his palace, one spring afternoon, David saw a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba, and in a moment it happened. A me too moment. This powerful man, the king, took Bathsheba and committed a grievous sin, adultery. He stole her. Sometime later, David learned that Bathsheba was pregnant and he sought to cover his tracks. Her husband, Uriah, was a soldier fighting at the front in an engagement against one of Israel's many enemies. David commanded Uriah to return home from the campaign, hoping that he would sleep with his wife and all would be well. Uriah refused the comforts of home and David sent him to his death. When he returned to his unit, it was a cruel and sordid arrangement. And after a period of mourning, David took Bathsheba as his own wife, and a child was born. But the narrator of the second book of Samuel, chapter 11, observed 
The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David had gotten away with it, or so he thought, until the prophet Nathan confronted him with his wrongdoing, speaking truth to power. David's simple confession, I have sinned against the Lord in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 13, is here in Psalm 51 elaborated as a personal lament, a man exposed before his maker. Hear the words of Psalm 51 according to the English Standard Version and follow them, if you will, in your own Bible. Psalm 51, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Broken and contrite heart of God, you will not despise. To good, to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. In the opening section of Psalm 51 verses 1 to 6, the focus is on repentance the action of repenting, sincere remorse and regret for one's actions. In these opening lines, we hear the words of a man overwhelmed by guilt and shame. It is a prayer of contrition, remorse, regret for his actions. There is a deep sense of personal accountability in these lines. He writes about my transgressions, my iniquity, my sin. In these opening lines, three words define the nature of David's wrongdoing. Transgression in verse 1. That is willful, deliberate rebellion against God. Iniquity in verse 2. 
deviancy, a warped mind, fallen human nature. Sin in verse 3. A specific fault in thought, word or deed. David is desperate for God to cleanse him from his sin. Blot out, he asks, the second half of verse 1. Wipe out, wipe off, for sin always leaves a mark. Wash me thoroughly, deep cleansing into the very fibres of sinful human nature. Cleanse me in the second part of verse 2. An indelible stain of sin that only God can remove. David acknowledges in these opening lines that only God can deal with his wrongdoing. For his God is a God of mercy. The root of the Hebrew word rahim is womb, a God of depth and care, a God of unfailing love, hesed in Hebrew, of steadfast, unwavering commitment, a God of compassion who will never stop loving us, And it is because God is merciful, loving and compassionate that repentance can be what it is. In verse 3, we are introduced to the image of sin as an accusing presence in one's life. An accuser stands before us. The New English Bible captures this spectre. My sins confront me all day long. David is clear. It is against God that he has sinned in verse 4. That is not to dismiss or to relegate David's sin against Bathsheba and Uriah in his adultery and in his murder. But it is a typically biblical way of going right to the heart of the matter. And on that basis of having offended God, David has to accept God's judgment and verdict. David's sin was not a moment of madness, an out-of-character incident, but rather it was an expression of the warped passion and the warped person he always was in verse 5. The consistent biblical witness is that humanity is flawed and fallen in God's eyes. We are a paradox. We are capable of great good and great wrong. Verse 6 Verse 6 picks up this thinking. Despite confessing his sins before God and throwing himself on his mercy, love and compassion, David expresses his desire to be taught God's ways, his wisdom, to live in the right way God intends. David's confession in these verses 1 to 6 is candid. He doesn't seek to cover up, but to own up to his wrongdoing. He doesn't seek to blame, to blame others or to hide in the camouflage of circumstances. No, he alone is to blame for rebelling against God. He doesn't seek to excuse himself as if wrongdoing was a kind of blip, a one-off. No, David's action was symptomatic of a deep, darker problem of the human heart, the human predicament. We are fallen sinners in need of salvation. We are sick in need of a physician. We are in debt and in need of a creditor. David knew that. I wonder do we. 
it is important to note that immediately David made his confession of his sin, Nathan the prophet, who confronted him, declared God's forgiveness. The Lord has taken away your sin, he said in 2 Samuel 12 and 13. David is aware, therefore, of the immediacy of God's mercy, the promise pardon to the penitent heart. David had sought God's forgiveness and he received it, but he also yearned for restoration in his relationship with God, which is picked up in verses 7 to 14. In verse 7, David's longing to be restored uses the image of hyssop, which is a small, bushy, aromatic plant of the mint family, which in Jewish religious thought, in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers at the beginning of the Old Testament, is a symbol of sprinkling, of cleansing, of washing. What an effect David asks of God in verse 7 is this, decontaminate me. Not just the removal of the stain of sin, but a a clearing out of every trace of sin in my life. Only God has the ability to do such a thing. And that's what David prays for. In the evocative phrase, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Instead of the brokenness David felt because of his sin, he asked God in verse 8 to let him hear joy and gladness. Verse 9 echoes, verse 1, blot out all my iniquities and anticipates being made anew, a new creation. Read in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. With the word created, David asks for nothing less than a miracle. God alone is the creator. David's desires a creative act of God to transform him from deep within, inner renewal, which will restore his standing with God. Don't abandon me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, in verse 11. Unlike the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit was given to each believer, in Acts chapter 2, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given by God to individuals for a specific task, The Holy Spirit, the life giver, could also be withdrawn from recipients in the Old Testament. And so David feared the loss of what God's Spirit brought to his life. Verse 12, the joy of salvation, a willing spirit and a witness teaching God's ways so that sinners might be restored to the Lord. And praise, and my tongue will sing Allowed of your righteousness. In verse 13. Behind the longings for restoration in these verses, 7 to 14, lies a solemn awareness of the seriousness of sin and a terror of the consequences it brings. Sin separates us from God, sin strangles our lives, sin sars our human relations. But the God of grace always has better things in mind for us. And in his son, Jesus Christ, great David's greater son, has provided a remedy for sin. Our contemporary world is 
frantic in search of a remedy for COVID-19. God, in his mercy, has provided a remedy for the deadly virus of sin which infects all humanity. We read in the New Testament words of Peter and words of Paul who were recipients of God's remedy. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. This is the restoration and renewal that David was seeking for. The closing lines of Psalm 51 speak of regeneration in verses 15 to 19, which opens with the very familiar words to Anglicans, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. These words have been paraphrased and used in the Anglican liturgy liturgy of morning and evening prayer since the 16th century as an invitation to corporate worship of regeneration. David Shem had sealed his lips. He longs to worship freely, uninhibited by a guilty conscience, grounded in genuine repentance, which is signified in verses 16 and 17. Not with the externals of worship, the sacrifices of the sanctuary, the burnt offerings, but in internal broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart which God accepts. God, Derek Kidner suggests, God is looking for a heart that knows how little it deserves, but how much it owes. A God who welcomes penitence, those with broken and contrite hearts, and graces them with forgiveness, restoration and renewal. This is good news, and it's open to all. No wonder David asks in the closing verses 18 and 19 of Psalm 51 that God would regenerate Zion, that is, the city of Jerusalem, And these graphic images of building up its walls, verse 18, and right sacrifices in the sanctuary, in verse 19. David was aware that his sinful thought and action were undermining, blighting the security of God's people as a whole. In his own regeneration, he pleads for the regeneration of his people to God's favour, the first part of verse 18, God's security, the second part of verse 18, and a fellowship with God. Leadership, whether in the 10th century BC when David lived or the 21st century, is fundamentally an issue of character. Leaders at whatever level, national, religious, business, in the arts, culture, media, whatever, may well be charismatic, clever, competent, compelling. The secular view gives credence to the separation between the private and public life of leaders. That is seen that it doesn't really matter what a leader is like in private as long as he can deliver in public. And that has been exposed in the contemporary world in so many fields, politics, in church and in the arts as it was exposed in David's world. The biblical worldview is that character, integrity and the authenticity of leaders should be a consistent in private 
and in public. And when they get it wrong, as so often they do, they have to own up, apologize, seek forgiveness and restoration. In Psalm 51, David bears his soul before God and his people, and we, the readers, he is ashamed of his actions and seeks God's forgiveness and restoration and regeneration, without which he stands guilty before the bar of heaven. Until comparatively recently, in the Western world, people have viewed the world through this biblical prism of guilt and innocent, that which is right and that which is wrong, governed by rules and norms and expectations which are, are drawn from the body of the Bible, Christian teaching. Guilt and innocence, right and wrong, are fading in the conscience of Western people. This worldview is being replaced by pain and pleasure principles, which operates like what causes me pain or what hurts me is to be avoided. What gives me pleasure is to be embraced. The starkness of Psalm 51 challenges this prevailing assumption of pain and pleasure. Like David, we are all answerable and accountable to a holy and objective God, our Creator, whom we offend and from whom alone we can be acquitted and set free. Isn't that wonderful?